0: The honorable the judges of the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit. Oye, 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 all persons having any manner or form of business before the honorable the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit are admonished to draw nine, give their attention for the court is now sitting. God save the United States and this honorable court.
1: You may be seated. Ms.
2: Good morning, Your Honors, and may it please the Court. My name is Danny Zemmel, and I am here on behalf of Andrew Fields III, the petitioner. Mr. Fields alleges that he was savagely beaten by prison guards while both his hands and feet were shackled. In response to those attacks, Mr. Fields brought a variety of claims against the officers who attacked him and their superiors. His complaint was dismissed under the PLRA's pre-screening requirement, as a result of which he received a strike under the PLRA's three strikes rule. Well, Mr. Fields brought numerous claims. The only one to find this court currently is his damages claim for excessive force under the Eighth Amendment against the specific individual officers who beat him.
3: Well, Mr., while the petitioner- Can you tell me why that is? Why, why the last part of that sentence? Why is it only against the individual officers? You brought a complaint against BOP, um, and when you came here, BOP was still listed. They've not been dismissed. Voluntarily in any context. So why is why is it only against the individual defendants?
2: The only issue still remaining that's being contested, Your Honor, because the petitioner has conceded that there is no valid claim under FDIC v. Meyer
3: against the BOP. Well, but but that's an alternative ground, right? So the district court dismissed because there's no cause of action, um, and that would eliminate the claim against BOP. Or there's an alternative ground, which is even if there's a cause of action under Bivens, it doesn't apply against BOP. But it seems odd to say that you can like concede the, and obviously this is relevant only because the individual defendants aren't here. But it seems odd you can concede there's an alternative ground to dismiss BOP, um, and therefore avoid BOP's involvement on the Bivens question.
2: Well, Your Honor, if that is, uh, uh, if that is Your Honor's position, I'm more than happy to have the, the the BOP provide that opinion. Well, I'm. Contesting here is that the individual claims that we are arguing here should be recognized under Bivens are the ones against the individual officers. Okay. I'm just
3: I, you just raised in the reply I just wanted to sort of understand this your position on the adversity point. Yes, Your Honor. Um, but they're technically still in, and the question is just which of two grounds this court chose to affirm the judgment against BOP.
2: Yes, Your Honor. That would be one that would be one way of looking at it. Yes, Your Honor. Uh, so turning to the Bivens questions against the individual officers, I would like to acknowledge that over the recent years, bringing a Bivens claim has become increasing. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to ask you. Egbert has
4: effectively closed the door on Bivens claims, it seems. So
2: what is your best argument to get by Egbert? Well, Your Honor, our best argument would be, as we put in our brief, that it's not our position that Egbert has fully closed that door. The court had an opportunity in Egbert, and it was advanced by concurrences and advanced by the briefs in that case, to either over... So how are you going to get through the crack in the door. Well yes your honor because uh in this instant, instance other different from the supreme court opinions and this court's uh, precedent on this case there are no alternative remedies in this instance due to the lack of operational the lack of the operation of the BOP's administrative remedy program in this instance and there are not the same potential systemic consequences of the like in Bolger Tate or maze that this court has previously addressed. We are not dealing with decisions made by policymakers of the BOP. These are not transfers among inmates or... Right, but if if there's liability even to these individual officers,
4: that wouldn't that create a, a system-wide consequence? The precedent
2: would. Um, but ten, uh, Your Honor, is, uh, I believe you're referring to Bolger, and in that case, Your Honor, we don't believe that that was necessary. In maze. Well, that those decisions were not necessary to the holding, but again, we were looking there at the interference with duties of individuals. I'm
3: sorry, say that one more time. So the reasoning was, so you just wanted that those two decisions and the reasons they gave were dicta?
2: No, Your Honor, that there were multiple special factors given in each of those cases for why the claim, um, could not proceed and, and not, and especially in Mays, there was no indication given that each one uh, was necessary to the holding. But also, we're looking at a different situation of systemic effects here. The Supreme Court has never blessed the idea that mere liability against an officer is a um, potential
3: uh, special... Sorry, I, can I just go back? I'm, I'm just curious about the, the dicta point in those two decisions. Your position is where the court identifies and says there are four special considerations that counsel against recognizing Bivens. A subsequent court can say, because no one of those was necessary, none of none of them are necessary? I mean, I'm not, I'm, you know, when the court says therefore, um, and then therefore does not recognize it, I'm having a hard time understanding how we can pick and choose which ones of those we now want to ignore.
2: Your Honor, I apologize if I, miss, I misspoke. I was a little unclear on that. Not necessarily that those are dicta and need to be ignored, but that the... They were not that this is not nearly as broad of a holding as maybe that line would have been. That there were special factors there of increased liability on individuals who were beyond the traditional law enforcement scope. And that you had individuals again, the main issues in Tate, Mays, Bolger is that you were looking at policies being challenged. BOP policies were being challenged. There were specific policies in the BOP for transfers, administrative segregation, employment, those kind of things are all made at more systemic levels. And challenges to those automatically will invoke systemic issues. Whereas in the traditional Fourth Amendment, Eighth Amendment, search and seizure, or in this case, we're calling for excessive force, the more traditional law enforcement line operations do not have the same issues. And if we're talking about the potential impact on the officers of their duties, there are other federal laws and doctrines that handle that issue, most notably the Prison Litigation Reform Act. We have a pre-screening mechanism like here where none of the individual officers who ever served, as is pointed out. They were not – there was no impact on their duties here because any frivolous claim will be weeded out by the district court. It is mandatory under the PLRA that there be this screening. And so we don't have that same issue like the court raised in Egbert, the Supreme Court raised in Egbert, where you know, it's easy to allege a First Amendment retaliation claim, as it was put in that court, get past motion dismiss, and get into extensive discovery. Here we have a harder claim to allege. Excessive force under the Eighth Amendment is a higher bar. And second, you have the Prison Litigation Reform Act that requires pre-screening. And if there are too many um, lawsuits that are deemed frivolous or failure to state a claim filed by an inmate, they are then prevented from using the informant properis. Proceedings in the future, which for many federal prisoners essentially means that they are unable to file at all at that point. So, again, we have other mechanisms limiting that potential can factor. Can we go back to your alternative remedies argument? Yes, because I
4: think the, the point you were going to make here is that even though there are maybe alternative remedies, um, appellant has been denied access to
2: those remedies, correct? Is that yes? That they were, the phrasing we're using is that they weren't operational in this case as to him. And so the difference, again, that I think, there between Bolger and Mays is that so Bolger, to take for instance, there the individual raised the issue that uh, Mr. Bolger
3: had only been in. So can I can I understand that the in your view, um, at least with respect to this factor, to determine whether the cause of action exists or not, we would have to look at whether a given plaintiff was not allowed to pick up the grievance forms. Uh, right. So it's like a case by case. I mean every other like Bivens case I can think of, the court looks not at individual plaintiffs or whether the the process was operational or working well in that instance, but instead does the law provide for such a remedy, right? That it's it's not an individual case because we're trying to determine, I thought, whether there's a cause of action for everyone, not just for your client.
2: Uh, yes, Your Honor. And again, we are asking that in any instance where this is, that would be a factor that you must allege to provide a bidman's
3: claim. The same way you must allege certain. Wait, I'm sorry, say that one more. So, so that, in other words, there's only a cause of ac- the cause of action. One of the elements of the cause of action is that they did not let me get the prison grievance form.
2: Uh, Your Honor, in this
3: instance, yes, because that follows the Supreme Court precedent where we are looking at again... Under this what, is, what is the case that suggests that when we recognize I mean, that would be a, a very novel element to every other Bivens action that the court has recognized, right? I mean, I've never seen an element that suggests that.
2: Yes, Your Honor because the, the court hasn't faced this, the Supreme Court has not faced that specific issue and what we're looking at is from the opposite, it's kind of the opposite way around. This court looks at We're looking at, is it really an alternative
4: remedy if the individual cannot use the alternative remedy? Just because we say there is one does not mean there actually is one, correct?
2: Uh, Is that your argument? I think the difference here I'm trying to get at is that, in Boulder and other instances where the individual did not have access to the remedy or was not able to um, utilize in the right way, those were decisions made by the BOP. The remedy was structured in such a way that it left certain things out. It was calibrated, as the Supreme Court said, to the remedy. Well, the here drugs. it's it's the decision to withhold grievance forms from him was made by the BOP. It was made by individual officers, Your Honor. It was not a policy decision by the BOP. And I think that's the distinction here, is that we're looking at, we have individual officers here. Okay, well, I thought that might have helped you, but maybe not. Uh, Your Honor, no, again, because in this instance, if the BOP had chosen not to provide, that is something the Supreme Court has said, that it is the BOP's discretion what remedies to apply. The same way there's no damages remedy in the administrative remedies program is not binding. However... Okay, then what, then how
4: do you... Then what's your argument on the alternative remedies?
2: That it was not operational in this year. Oh, and what does that mean? That it was, he was not provided access to it, not because the policy. That's sensibly.
4: what I just said though. And you disagreed with
2: me. Your I Honor, was I think, trying to help you. I think the disagreement, Your Honor, here is between who who denied him the access okay. to the remedies. Is that as he alleged in his complaint, he was denied access to the remedy by rogue BOP officers, not by some kind of policy decision oh, uh, okay.
1: by the BOP. I see. Oh, Mr. Zimmel, let me ask you. Go back to uh, Judge Richardson's question, and this is a counter, counterfactual. But let's say uh, his point is: you're looking at the broader reach of everyone, not just what happened here. What if these uh, operational these officers had not prevented access, and he would have been, could avail himself of whatever remedies were available? Do you say that they those remedies would be adequate? Uh,
2: Your Honor, under this court's precedent, yes, this court has already decided in Bulger and in Mays and in Tate, and that uh, you know, a, a holding other to hold otherwise here would require relooking at those cases. So yes, under this court's precedent, those are considered adequate. Or actually, it's not under this court's precedent. It's not for this court to decide whether they're adequate, but that they exist and that is the sufficient thing. Again, the distinction we're drawing here is that that's a decision made by the BOP. This is not, and we're looking to defer to congressional and executive decisions about what scope of remedy should be there. We're not looking to defer to individual officers choosing not to allow themselves to face any remedies by failing to provide the grievance forms the BOP has told them to provide.
1: So in this case, you're alleging that the rogue act that caused the, the violation itself is also the one that, provide, that are prohibited from having an alternative, alternative relief. Right. Uh, they
2: were two separate actions, but yes your honor I
1: mean, but it's all capitalized the same type wrong actors
2: right yes your honor and and again, in terms of the the cause of action broader part, I am
3: uh we are di- but different officers right yes the, your honor. the the alleged beatings and the alleged deprivation of forms they're different. In in they're different rogue officers. Yes, your right, honor.
2: You're saying yes. There were different yes. officers. Um, there is a potential one overlap. There is uh, some of the officers are John Doe's. Uh, Mr. Fields was not aware of the name of every single one, but the ones that he does have names for are different. Yes, your honor. Um, if there's no more questions on the ARP for now, I'd like to turn briefly to the um, something else that was raised, which would be the Federal Tort Claims Act uh, as a potential remedy here. It's like to point out that while it has had some uh, doubt passed upon it, Carlson is still good law in this court. I think that can, or the Supreme Court still follows Carlson, that the FTCA is not an alternative remedy when it comes to Bivens. And that can be most clearly seen by Egbert. In Egbert, the individual in that case, the, the plaintiff, did file an administrative claim under the FTCA, and then his time elapsed and he did not file a claim under the FDCA, a, a lawsuit under it. The briefs in that case at the Supreme Court all addressed that issue. The Customs and Border, uh, Border Protection brief advanced heavily that the FTCA was an alternative remedy that should dismiss his claim completely. The Supreme Court did not address that point at all. They did not even mention it as a remedy in the process going through the case. I think that is a very strong indication that Carlson is still good law, and while there may be other remedies, the ARP or other things that can be looked at, the Federal Tort Claims Act is not an appropriate um, remedy to be looked at in this situation. Uh, and the other one would be the Prison Litigation Reform Act, which we've discussed a lot here. There's been a lot of discussion of the fact that, um, you know, in the mid-90s, the Congress passed the Prison Litigation Reform Act, which is quite comprehensive, but it covers both state, local, and federal uh Prisons, it was not solely focused on federal prisons, and there has been stated, it was stated in Dicta and Ziegler that that could counsel against a damages claim in this instance. But that was Dicta and the Ziegler opinion, it was then, re- that part of the opinion was remanded for later decision on whether
3: there were special factors counseling a claim against the warden. Don't, don't we seem to suggest that in, in Mays and Bolger too though? Or Again, is that, is that, that's also like not necessary to those cases, so we should ignore those pieces too? Your Honor, it's listed along with congressional
2: uh, silence and other aspects. Uh, Again, is uh, the plaintiff's position that that is something the court is going to be, if the court sees that as a necessary holding of boulder and Mays, then yes, we would ask that that would be reconsidered because the PLRA is not an appropriate special factor. And I think this leads me back to the kind of overarching part we have here, which is that the existence of a test presupposes an answer. When you're looking at any of these special factors, they cannot be interpreted in such a way that every possible extension of Bivens, Carlson, or Davis would be prohibited, because that is not
3: what's what different. That's different than held. saying, hypothetically, I'm I'm not sure this is the rule, but you could have a rule that says, given the special factors, it can never be extended in prisons.
2: Yes, your Honor. Example,
3: Right. I mean, and and so your idea that there is a crack in the door, I totally accept. Right, but. It's a little hard to see after Mays and Bulger, like, where that crack is for BOP.
2: Uh, yes, and Your Honor, uh, one, I would argue that I think it's possibly acceptable. I would actually push the extensions of – there must be at least some extension of Davis, Carlson, and Bivens individually. But even if we look at just Bivens itself and there must be some extension there, again, the issue here is that um, – I guess I just go back to the non-operationalness of the administrative remedy programs. In my reading of Bulger and Mason Smith, that is the main feature. It's what the court repeated in Nelson, the unpublished opinion on this issue. And to me, those are the main issues. Again, though, if the court disagrees on that, we would ask that those be reconsidered because they don't follow under the Supreme Court's precedent. I see my time is almost up. I reserve the rest for a rebuttal. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Zeno. Mr.
1: Fry.
0: Good morning, Your Honors, and may it please the Court, Krista Frith on behalf of the Federal Bureau of Prisons. This Court should affirm the District Court's dismissal for failure to state a claim on a screening order for two reasons. First, BOP cannot be a defendant to a Bivens lawsuit, as Mr. Fields has conceded. Second, Egbert forecloses Mr. Fields' claims because there are numerous reasons Congress is better suited to create a damages action, as this Court held in Tate bulger amazed here mr fields concedes this is a new context you
3: agree just to talk a little bit about the your footnote two in the beginning of his reply brief um that those are alternative grounds for which the bop um should prevail yes your honor and that the, the the ground that you argue first in your brief Is technically an alternative ground to affirm the district court because it didn't rely, it didn't need to reach that question because it found no cause of action?
0: Yes, Your Honor, precisely.
3: So you don't think, in other words, the government doesn't think there's any adversity problem here given that you are a live opponent on both of those
0: issues? Correct, Your Honor. Thank you. As a new context, the only question here is whether there is a single reason, just one, Congress is better suited to create a damages remedy. And here there are several reasons that Congress is better suited as the court held in Tate, Bulger, and Mays. First, the existence of alternative remedial structures demonstrates that Congress is better suited to create a damages remedy here.
3: Can you respond directly to your colleague's point, which I I take to his credit concedes that as they're structured, at least under our prior precedent – Those are sufficient. But what those courts don't address um, is where a rogue officer has denied him the ability to get the form um, such that he he should have a cause of action. And maybe that cause of action, I think he suggested, has as an element that a rogue officer has denied him um, access to the grievance procedure. Can you address whether that's the right question?
0: Yes, Your Honor. There are three points to that issue. The first, as you recognized in the conversation with my colleague, um, is that the analysis of alternative remedial structures is not confined to the particular plaintiff in a particular case. Egbert explains that the analysis is broader. It looks at um, whether Congress... Has or the executive has created an alternative remedial mechanism, indicating Congress is better suited, and and this court used that same approach in Bulger. Here we have that we have the Civil Rights of Institutionalized Persons Act of 1980 passed At by right, Congress.
3: But his his argument is, yeah, that's all great, but neither of those cases dealt with an allegation of a of a rogue officer and maybe rogue officers. My term, maybe we just start, started using that. But the rogue officer problem, right? Which is, yeah, Congress did a great job here. You might not say great, but a sufficient job here, right? And they set up a great system or sufficient system. Um, but the rogue officer is totally different, right? And so that changes the calculus with respect to the remedial scheme.
0: Well, it does not change the analysis, Your Honor, because the analysis is a broader one than the specific plaintiff. And and even going beyond that, it, the analysis so in Bulger... as
4: long as there is a remedial system, even though it is, it is completely useless and inaccessible to a particular um, prisoner, that, that doesn't matter?
0: Yes, Your Honor, and that was the analysis this court employed in Bulger. In Bulger... The alternative remedial pro- remedy process was completely unavailable to that plaintiff because he was deceased, so he couldn't engage in that process. Here, here it's different. I mean,
4: he was deceased. Here, the actual and I would say officers, rogue officers, plural, um, denied access to the um, grievance forms. That is, I mean, dead like- versus being access actually being withheld are two different things.
0: Yes, Your Honor. The other point on that is Mr. Fields is focused on the the formal grievance process with respect to the, the specific BPA and nine forms, but he wholly ignores the sensitive remedy process, which is another aspect of the BOP alternative remedy process. He did not need a form for that. He could have just sent a letter up to the regional director's office and engaged with the alternative remedy process that way. I don't, I don't
1: yeah, I'm that's sorry, he administered stuff him. That's
0: in the record? I'm sorry? That's in the record? Uh, yes, Your Honor. It is in, we discussed the sensitive remedy process in our brief. Your no brief? Yes.
1: Your no brief is not in the record. Uh, I apologize, Your Honor. Yeah, that's right, it's not in the record. But here you're talking about, you're saying this test is a very difficult test for extending dividends, no question. But here, isn't this a, One that's a different content, a reason that would say here you have a tough test, but you can actually be the wrongdoer and then make sure that the person can't fulfill the test by keeping them out of the process. This is a case where they they beat the man up deliberately, an assault, vicious assault. And then here you're saying, oh, well, you know what? I'm not saying that was happened, but the effect of it is that if you keep him from getting the process, then when you come to court, people will forget about this beating. There's no action because we cut them off from an alternative remedy, and we don't care because we look at the broad issue, because that's what you're telling us. As long as it has existed, we don't care what the tortfeasor did.
0: If two points on that, Your Honor. First... We've been focused on the BOP alternative remedies process, but that is not the only alternative remedial mechanism here. There is also state tort law, the FTCA, the DOJ Inspector General Act, and criminal prosecution. If Mr. Fields was so brutally beaten, that, that is something that could have been criminally prosecuted. And in fact, the Department By of Justice whom? does. By whom? The Department of Justice criminally prosecuted. Have you done it? Me personally. No, not you. Has,
1: has, if they've been prosecuted? Right? Yes, right. the
0: Department of Justice has prosecuted BOP employees for engaging in violent oh, here. acts or otherwise. i This case? In this case, not that I'm aware of, Your Honor.
1: So, no alternative remedy there either in this case?
0: Well, I, I don't know if Mr. Fields made a complaint to the FBI or...
1: Does he other- need to make a complaint? You see, it was viciously beaten. This was... I mean, people, I think most citizens would be appalled at what happened in this case. And you're saying that, to, well, he didn't make a complaint. I mean, that's what justice departments are for, right?
0: Yes, Your Honor. What
4: about I, this complaint? Why aren't the allegations in this complaint sufficient for the Department of Justice to take notice of it? Uh,
0: that's not my purview, Your Honor. I'm not a criminal prosecutor, but, um, I, and I can't speak to what the FBI or, or the criminal division um, may or may not do in certain circumstances. Um, Okay, I, th- I thought you just did speak to what they I'm sorry, I was do in certain circumstances. I'm sorry, I was talking to this specific circumstance as it relates to Mr. Fields. I can't speak to um, what the Department of Justice did or did not in terms of investigating Mr. Fields' um, allegations as it relates to this complaint. Um, but moving beyond just the alternative remedial structures, there are additional reasons that this court held in Balger and May's uh, foreclose Bivens remedies in similar contexts. One of those is the PLRA. When presented with prison c- context claims, this court has noted that Congress's inaction in creating a damages remedy speaks volumes and counsels strongly against judicial usurpation of the legislative function. And the discusses the fact that the PLRA did not create a damages cause of action Noting that it seems clear Congress had specific occasion to consider the matter of prisoner abuse and consider the proper way to remedy those wrongs, but declined to do so. A third of reason Congress is better suited to create a damages remedy here is system-wide consequences and the impact on prison administration. As this court explained in Tate, citing to Egbert, it is difficult for a court to predict the system-wide consequences of recognizing a Bivens cause of action, and that alone is a special factor for closing relief.
1: Normally that might be the case in terms of if they're changing policy and looking at it overall, but I can't imagine any circumstances where the BOP would want to do anything to give any kind of safe harbor to the acts that were done in this case, alleged in this case. With there? Is there anything about their policy and operation they want to say, well, we we don't want that kind of because dis- I hope that this is very rare, wouldn't you think? Yes, this, Your Honor. The beating here that was alleged, would you say it's rare? Yes. I
0: would hope so. Yes, And Your so,
1: Honor. what policy they would have that want to say that this is the kind of case? Whoa, whoa! If you if a beating like this, if you allow it here, wow! Well, I mean, we're gonna have a really bad problem. Then we have a bad problem about the whole system, don't we?
0: Yes, but the the concern is looking at it from a broader level, as the Supreme Court did in Egbert. It's not just whether creating the the impact of creating a damages cause of action in these specific circumstances, but more broadly, whether creating a cause of action against all BOP officers for allegations of excessive force might be harmful or inappropriate. And and the the concern there is yes, this allegation is perhaps a, an extreme one but there can be lower levels and where do we draw the line by the nature of incarceration there is a certain level of force that is used on various aspects of daily life in prisons merely putting a inmate in in prison is a use of force putting him in handcuffs is a use of force well
3: but we we certainly understand have some idea of what excessive force is. The the question seems less to be, maybe we can't figure out what that is, as opposed to once we recognize the cause of action, it's it's a cause of action in total. And the question is whether that cause of action for excessive force creates operational problems, not whether, you know, BOP in this particular case, through its inspector general or the bureau or anybody else, um, might have good reason if these allegations are true to take action but whether creating a cause of action for all types of excessive force claims creates operational problems for BOP
0: Exactly your honor and and so why do you
1: think this case has to go that far
0: Well that is the analysis that the Supreme Court has employed time and time again in Egbert Abbasi and this court employed in Tate, Boulder, and Mays, we have to look at if, if special factors analysis is a broad analysis, because again the question is whether there is any reason, just one, that Congress is better suited to create a damages remedy than the judiciary. And here we have several reasons as the court helps.
3: it's a damages remedy, I, mean, I think maybe this is like a core part of the question. It's a damages remedy for, and then the question that it sounds like we're trying to get at is, what comes after the four, right? And one answer is a damages remedy for Eighth Amendment excessive force claims, right? That's as a whole, right? So that's what it seems like the court has suggested um, in Abassi and others. Um, but the alternative would be to say a much narrower one, right? We recognize a cause of action um, when more than six BOP officers were involved in not just excessive force, but extreme excessive force, and they also denied the cause of action or access to the grievance procedures and whatever. So only in that, basically, this particular case do we recognize a cause of action. I think maybe the question a little bit gets at, can we do that? Can we recognize a cause of action that is limited to the specific facts or do we have to recognize a cause of action based on the constitutional prohibition?
0: In terms of if the court extended Bivens, it would be extending it to the narrow facts and circumstances of this case. But that is a separate question from the special factors analysis, which, excuse me, the special factors analysis, which, looks at the broader question of Eighth Amendment excessive force. Are you you aware of any
4: case that is similar to this one, that is like this one where the um, one of the allegations is that the grievance process or the remedy process was withheld from the inmate? And not because he was dead, but Which would be most like this one?
0: I'm not certain, Your Honor. There have been several Eighth Amendment excessive force cases um, before other circuit courts, um, which we cite in our briefs, but I am uncertain as to whether any of them particularly allege that the grievance process... So you don't know if
4: there there are any that have foreclosed this
0: particular... um, set of circumstances? No, Your Honor. I don't I don't believe so, um, but there may have been some case law that's come out since um, our briefing concluded in this case, and I'm happy to um, provide the court with supplemental briefing on that specific question, if it would be helpful to the court.
1: You know, it seems like as, as alleged, there's a sort of a, 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 a sort of a, not neat is not the right word, but it's sort of a clear line you could draw here in this case. is. This allegation is so egregious that this would be just excessive force. In cases where there is no pretense as alleged to either restrain for purpose of disorderly conduct, uh, you know, manacle, whatever, refuse to eat, you know, whatever those things like that. But when this intentionally, the person is pulled aside into a place for the purpose of beating them up. I mean, isn't that sort of like this would be a line where it's in alleged it's intent with no penal purpose.
0: We, well, Your Honor, I don't know that those are the facts here. If we,
1: I mean, but I mean, that's they want. They didn't allege that he was in a room and he was not that he was no danger, but he was actually beaten up without in in the attack. That's, that's not alleged
0: in in the attachments to the complaint. There are. Um, several uh, disciplinary proceeding documents indicating that the incidents of the alleged use of force were ones where Mr. Fields was attacking, physically attacking a BOP staff member, mm-hmm. and physically attacking his cellmate, specifically punching him in the back of the head and then sitting on top of him and repeatedly punching him.
1: So, and what's the what's the other, what are the other ones? That's one
0: those those are two the two incidents um, that he's mm-hmm. i i understood the complaint to to be alleging that he was alleging um, BOP staff use excessive force and and that is an example and pulling
1: pulling him off somebody you saying that as they alleged?
0: and the ensuing disciplinary not disciplinary but um, getting him under control that process there is um, a host of BOP policies about the use of force in those incidents where an inmate has become violent um, and, and when an inmate, um, how to get him under control and um, when he is in, placed in um, certain uh, types of restraints and then held for a period of time in a separate area until he has calmed down sufficiently to reenter um, general population of the special housing unit. And
1: you're saying that's all that was alleged in this case, that he was just placed in a room so he could quiet down?
0: I, I that's, don't what
1: that's what you're saying?
0: No, Your Honor, I'm not saying that he was just placed in a room so that he could quiet down, but I'm saying those, those are the, that is the factual background. It's not a situation where Mr. Fields is alleging he was just walking to the chow hall and some officer pulled him out of line and started punching him in the face. Um, that the, the full context of the allegations here are that Mr. Fields himself was engaging in acts of violence against staff and other inmates.
3: What do we do with that? I mean, I don't. I mean, I, I get the context, but he alleges one thing and he attaches something else to the complaint. I mean, I get there's like a factual dispute about that, right? But that's not really what we're doing here. Wouldn't we still have to take the allegations as they are, I mean, I'm not, I don't know that that matters a great deal, but it seems like the fact, to the extent that there's a dispute between the attachments to the complaint, yes, sometimes we do say an attachment to the complaint, um, yeah, do you, so do you have a view on what we're supposed to do in that scenario where we have a conflict between, We. I mean, this certainly comes up in the context of a contract, right, if you attach a contract that's inconsistent with the allegations in the complaint, um, we we sometimes have cases that have ignored the allegation in light of the attached contract. Police report seems a little different.
0: Yes, Your Honor. And so, when a document is attached to a complaint, it is usually deemed integral. That is deemed integral to to the complaint. It is considered part of the facts alleged in the complaint. And so, I don't think you need to consider them as competing stories, but instead as um,
3: well, but here they're plainly competing stories, right?
0: I mean Not it, necessarily. Uh, yeah. Well, but I, I think in
3: every plausible sense, they are competing stories, right? He's saying they did this for no reason. The officers are saying they're responding to his disorderly conduct. You know, at some point, if this case proceeded and there was a cause of action, that dispute would have to be resolved.
0: Yes, Your Honor. And I see that I'm out of time, but we ask that the court affirm the district court's dismissal. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Ms. Smith. Oh. Mr. Zimmel, do you have some time? Reserve. Yes, Your Honor. I just want to have a quick few points. I want to start with the facts really quickly. That um, The facts in this case are that Mr. Fields, um, everything that my colleague said is correct about the instance that led to him being put, or at least what's alleged to him being put in the restrictive housing. But he alleges that periodically, every half an hour, while he was shackled, hands and feet, and those two connected to each other, the officers came in picked him up and slammed his head against a concrete wall, beat him with steel-toed boots while he is shackled. And so, again, like, so the BOP, whether he had done something before or not, is not their role. That is not, you know, even if we look at the uh, normal state law, you know, uh, or state claim here against a state officer, this would be excessive force and would easily survive a motion to dismiss on that claim.
3: Uh, second, just a couple... Just so I understand, I, I think I understand what you just said, but I just want to make sure that I do. Yeah. Yes, Your Honor. So with respect to the attachments... Your point your point of that is, yes, you're not disputing there was some disorderly conduct, but the response to that or the continued beating was excessive. It didn't matter what he did on the front end. Yes, you're on. So in that so I was wrong. I'm I'm you're telling me I was wrong and I'm totally good with that, right? That's why I want you here. (laughs) So it's not necessarily that they're actually in conflict. They just one provides context for the other. Not that the Disorderly conduct justifies the conduct, the, the beatings, alleged beatings, but, but they're, they're just separate incidents. And so they're not actually in conflict. I, I stand corrected, yes, it wrong. sounds like.
2: So he brought, Mr. Fields brought a lot of claims. And one of the claims he originally brought that was dismissed for other reasons was him being put potentially into the restrictive housing. And so the, what he had done before for why he was placed in restrictive housing is certainly relevant. But once he's in the housing and he is not, you know, he's, again, shackled. He's not a safety risk at that point. The Basically, as he alleges, the periodic beatings, every half an hour that they had to come check on him for policy, he was beaten some more. Those have no uh, justifiable penalological process. I also wanted to mention just a couple of real quick points that the sensitive remedies, at least as I read the CFRs, which are 28 CFR 54214, also must be on the same BOP forms. So Mr. Fields didn't specifically say sensitive remedies in his complaint, but it must be on so the it same doesn't,
3: request. Why? So when I read the, the CFR, you discussed it in your brief yeah. and they discussed it in their brief. Why, why do you think it has to be on the same form? Because it refers
2: to, you're on, and I actually have it here, it refers to the request, the, uh, the thing goes back and there's actually a link if you look at it online for them to the request, there's an actual form that BOP has and everything refers to that request, the form being on that request. And it's in a reasonable interpretation that that BP9 form, the request, is the same request that's being referred to throughout the why? entire CFR. I-
3: So the implication is that the CFR section, where it says the request, we interpret that request to refer to a, a form used in a different type of administrative proceeding? That seems odd. No,
2: Your Honor, that is the request, the form that's in Section A of the BOP, of the CFR, and then Section D is the sensitive remedies. What I'm saying is that the request form mentioned in Section A for the normal requests and for Section D for the sensitive remedies are the same request. That's in the same CFR section. Um, and further, as I'm completing at this point on the complaint, if we're looking at if that is an issue to this court, um, the complaint is a pro se complaint that must be liberally construed, and he alleged that he was denied access to his remedies. Um, and the last thing I wanted to uh, mention really quickly is to Judge Gregory's uh, point that if we're worried about a flood of cases, a flood of cases here presupposes that we have enough beatings in the Bureau of Prisons that would survive the PLRA's pre-screening requirements, qualified immunity, the Twombly Iqbal standard, that is a bigger problem. If we are really worried, the DOJ is really worried that that many claims
3: would be brought because of this type of beatings, that is a bigger problem. But, but it I mean, if we, if we take Trumbly and Iqbal on its face, all it requires is an allegation, right? So if, if he's present and he says this is what happened, um, that's always going to survive Twombly and Iqbal, right? So if, if I'm an inmate and I say every hour on the hour, they walked in and they, you know, kicked me in the head. My, my, I'm a personal affian. If I say that, that's sufficient, right? Oh, Your Honor, I see I'm out of time. Can I briefly respond? I'm sure that Judge Gregory will let you answer. Yes.
2: Uh, just really quickly, Your Honor, on that. Uh, there's two things. One, that's where the PLRA makes this unique, that an inmate who does that, they must sign under perjury when they're filing this. An inmate who does that is open to perjury considerations and is open to having their ability to file lawsuits in the future removed. And that makes this a very unique situation. Further, on the Eighth Amendment excessive force, you have to allege more, you have to allege some sort of there's a subjective component on the Eighth Amendment's excessive force. And so, uh, post Twombly Nick Ball, as I understand it, you no longer are or to allow to allege just malice, you have to have some kind of facts to support that that's what's um, behind it. And with that, Your Honor, I'd like to, uh, we ask that uh, this court either uh, remand with instructions to allow for discovery.
1: Thank you. All right. Thank you, counsels. I appreciate your arguments. We'll come down and greet you and then proceed to our final case.